morning. Today, I'm going to be reading Ecclesiastes 2. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruits and trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate, of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated labor, all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all fruit of my labor for which I had labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Then there is a man 
who have labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his tasks, his painful and grievous, even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. While to the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. Love that passage. Matter of fact, it's something you and I spoke of this morning, Rebecca, and at the the idea of life. Um, and gentlemen, this is a good lesson, something you could read over as well again, because uh, like I've said, setting goals for yourself, achieving things, is a great thing. And but if that's all you spend your life doing, I always ought to think of the astronauts. Where do you go after you walked on the moon? <laughs> How high do you set your goals after that point? But we're all going to come to the end of the line. And we're all going to come to the point where we're looking back on life. Let us not look back on our lives as, as though you know, our best days are behind us. It's, you know, that is the vanity part of it. Your best days is behind you. You're You've grown old. Your your careers have ended. Your um, things that things that you really loved in the past have gone, and you're sitting there saying, "Woe is me," because those things of the past is gone. Then you need to get your relationship with Christ in check, because there's going to be a time. No matter what you do, you're going to it's going to stop. You're going to stop doing it. Either by death or by the end of life. <laughs> I'd love to run a marathon. <laughs> but I can't. Um, think that's something behind me. It's something I've enjoyed. Um, but though th- that's not the highlight of my life. Really the highlight of my life is checking out of this life and being face to face with the Lord. Everything that you do, when you set your goals, when you set your plans, it's okay. Don't set, Christ, don't set Christ. Don't let set God outside of the things you're doing. Everything that you do, do as unto the Lord. And um, and your achievements is the is giving glory to God for the energy that He gave you, for the insights. And along the way, you're going to be touching people. You're going to be ministering to people and whatnot. So excellent, Solomon. Uh, but look at Solomon at the end of what he says. He's woe is me all the way through this. But um, but then he comes to realize, for to a person who is good in his sight, who's the his? God. God. He has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given a task of gathering, collecting, so that he may give to one 
who is good in God's sight. Our objective is to be good in God's sight above all else. And everything else fall together. Alright? Um, welcome. Uh, I think I've got Mike there. I think, think we, we think we're going. I hope you're, hope you're hearing us. I, I, things were going, falling apart. I don't know how choppy this is. So we just threw it together. We might tweak it along the way. I got Mike's on. Mike wants to run about you. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. Oh, he is here. Okay, very Where good. Where do we wave? And then, um, nice to have you. And so, nice to have a couple more with us today. So, welcome our guest. Uh, all right, uh, notes notes are on, and for this is for for all of us. Uh, if you don't have, we have notes here. We have our outlines, but the outlines have Q and A on them. So, if you you want to get together Tuesday night with us? We have a lesson, and that we go over the notes uh, and good discussion afterwards. If you go through this and and all that, so all right. Our opening hymn this morning will what is it, Grady? And can it be? So let us stand and remain standing for the opening prayer. And yet it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Thy evil deed caused his pain for me who am to death pursue. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so Oh. 
Let's take the next few moments in silent prayer, giving each one the opportunity of setting everything aside and focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ on whose... Uh, go ahead and flip that over for me, son. Alright, very good. Um, so, let's take these next few moments in silent prayer, giving each one the opportunity of setting everything else aside and uh, focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ on whose word we're about to study. And let's take these three first few moments and I'll open us up in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity this morning to fellowship in your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, let us set aside all the distractions of life, even electronics today. That um, We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we, we have Michael and Terry with us today. Uh, what a privilege it is and the means by which you provide it. pray that you open our hearts to the study of your word this morning. We pray that the, the things that we're studying make it a source of blessing and challenges continue to grow in grace. In the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. What book we in, Amanda? Um. I give you one guess, and the first one don't count. Two guesses, and one first one don't count. But rather than moving to verse uh, chapter nine yet, we got to finish up, you know, the last verse in chapter nine of Hebrews. Chap- chapter nine, Hebrews eight. Eight. Nine. Go to chapter nine and go back one verse. Chapter eight, verse thirteen. Thank you, Michael. When he said a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. What is that old covenant? That's what the eight was, eight previously in eight we had covered. And this is from, this is a quote from Jeremiah. It's very important to understand that this covenant was, is not made with the church. I'll say that again. This is not a church age promise or covenant. I'll read this to you. Start with verse 8. Back up to 8, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. With who? Everybody, with who? The house of Israel. And who else? The house of Judah. The house of Judah. Not with the church. Not like the covenant which I have made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. All of this is Israel. None of this is the church. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of who? With the house of who? Israel. Israel. After the day, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31.33 And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen. Stop right there. How do we know we're not in the kingdom yet? 
because you all are here at Bible class. You see, in the kingdom, the the children of Israel and the children of Judah will have the Word of God written upon their hearts. And everyone, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the east, least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. There's much, 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 much in the Old Testament. If not the majority of it, now we'll say it's the majority of the Old Testament, and the promises that we often, uh, that we often apply to ourselves. And context is to the Jews. But can we also, as we're studying, you might say, well, why are we even reading the Old Testament if it doesn't apply to us as a church? By principle, there is much for us. So context is to the Israelites. By principle, there's much that we can understand, even about our God. So, And then you might also say, because I asked the question first, well, what about the communion? When Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant has been poured out for the many. Well, that doesn't that apply to the church? Very important question. I'm glad you asked. Um, in this sense, in this sense, what was the promise from Abraham? What did, what did the promise of God to Abraham was? Abraham 12, verse 3, I believe. In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And it is what God is doing for Israel, for the house of Judah, and for the house of Israel, He has done for us. There is, there is that blood for their salvation that Jesus is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father in that, holy, in that holy temple in heaven. He's applying the blood not only for the house of Israel and house of Judah, but also for all who believe. So it's their covenant, but we are beneficiaries of that blood and salvation. So the new covenant is that which was covered early in, chapter, in this chapter. And it's that what Yahweh has made with, once again, who, who is it that Yahweh made the covenant with? Israel. Israel. Judah and Israel. He... And here he, he divides to both. What Judah is the two southern tribes. That's Judah and Benjamin. There's two southern tribes. Ten tribes, the northern tribes up north. For the sake of time, I won't have you re, review with you what those ten tribes are called. You should know. So the, this promise of the covenant will not be fully realized. It will not be fully realized until the coming of the kingdom. This is why this, this, uh, this lesson today is called the already but not yet kingdom. And there are many today that preach about the kingdom now, that the kingdom has established now. In one light, it is true that in a sense that our hearts should be focused on the coming kingdom. Well, actually, if uh, for us, for us, we will not. We we what we okay. I'm gonna back up just a little bit. We as a church, what are we focused on? Heavenly things, heavenly rule. 
What's a, what's the next thing? What's the next major event in, uh, well, in, in the church? The uh, meeting the Lord. The, the rapture of the church. church. Very good. The rapture of the church. And, and because in the kingdom, the, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is going to be established when our Lord Jesus Christ leaves the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus is not sitting on His throne yet. Not on His throne. Where's Jesus sitting? On His Father's throne. (laughs) What's that? Say that again. The right hand of God. Right hand of God. Yeah, right hand, right hand of the Father. Yes, right hand of the Father on His on His throne. I'm going to turn that down just a little bit because okay, there we go. Uh, On the right hand of His Father. Thank you, Terry. You get the smiley face. (laughs) He's at the right hand of His Father. He's not on His throne yet. So, history is playing out. When Jesus comes back, when He leaves, it's like the, fa- the Father says to the Son, it's time for you to go. And we went over this just Friday, didn't we, Mom? That even the Son, even the Lord Jesus Christ, don't know when the day or the hour will come when the Father will say to the Son, it's time for you to go. To establish His throne upon this earth. That's when that covenant is going to be fully realized for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. All right, and um, and we can anticipate that we are going to be with Christ, and where Christ is, we we are going to be. We're going to share in His inheritance. Don't don't feel bad, folks. We are in a greater position than Israel, and we will share in the inheritance of Christ. When he comes back. When he comes back, we are going to be... You see, they are God's people. And they uh, they will, as the Lord says, they will be my people, I will be their God. What position do we have in Christ? As a church. We are the bride of Christ. We are his heavenly bride. And so we share in all Christ has, his inheritance... Uh, his rulership will have rulership function in that time. So even then, there there's a distinction. There's that. Israel, and don't get them confused. Israel is Israel. The church is church. And the Gentiles are Gentiles. And ladies and gentlemen, in that time, there's going to be a place for the Gentiles. This is what we're learning on, on our weekday mornings, isn't it, Alright, so, moving on. To continue to attempt to live by the old standard. And again, now let me remind you what's going on here and why this letter is written. We need to keep this in mind. The, the Hebrew, the, he's writing to the Hebrews because they're in this time. These are crossover believers. They've grown up in Judaism. And there were those that were succumbing under the pressure. They wanted to go back to the old... They didn't want to, but they were having so much pressure of following Christ that a lot of them were breaking off and going back to the old way. Going back to the old priesthood. Going back to the old ritual. School. Question. Do they lose their salvation? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They are secure in their salvation. However, they are going to lose 
All the, and they're going to lose the heavenly promises, the eternal rewards and decorations that go with the church age believer. Now, by context, this is for them. But by principle, it's for us too. Because as a believer in Christ, especially as we continue on in history, and we're starting to feel the pressure of being Christians. We, we live in the United States of America. We've, we've been cushioned from a lot of the persecution that has hit other places of the world. And so we haven't, let's just, I'll put it this way, we haven't really had the privilege of suffering as many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world have. But when that time comes, you see, we have the privilege right now and the opportunity to secure the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and to have a firm, solid understanding and know who we are in Christ. So when we come to that place, of maximum pressure in our lives, and somebody, somebody is, somebody is saying, "Well, listen, you either recant your faith, or you're going to be burned at the stake." You better know who you believe before you come to that question. And I pray for all of us in this room and in the sound of my voice that when that day comes, you'll stand firm. And you say, as far as me and my house, we will stand for the Lord. So, as Christians, there will be many Christians that will fall away from the faith. Because they really, because as the Lord told Paul, they were really not with us at all. Not necessarily, everything alright? Not necessarily that they were believe, not believers. But they were not in Koinonia. They were not, they were not in the same let's just say, spiritual lead as the rest. But there's going to be many a drop off because they are not firm in the faith. Okay? And uh, Hebrews is going to tell us, do not grow weary in well-doing because in the end there will be rewards. So as, so just like the Hebrew believers were falling off, we as, we as Christians, and even now, even with less than persecution, this is what we were talking about this morning. If you're not anchored in your faith, you're going to drift away from it. I promise you. There, there. I mean, I am dogmatic about that. If you're not in His Word, if you're not growing in the Lord, if you, if you're not firm in your faith, and you're not, and listen, when do we graduate from the class? <laughs> Thank you. We don't. There is no graduation. Paul says, "Do not be careful that you you be careful that you think you stand, lest you fall." When you think that you are just spiritually all that in a bag of chips, and you lay aside your spiritual priorities, I promise you, you will drift away from it. You will start leaning on your own morality rather than the Christian life. Morality. Morality is not the Christian way of life. The unbeliever can live a moral life. And you'll think, well, I'm good because I, I'm, I, I'm a good father, I'm a good husband, I'm a, I'm, I'm good to, uh, I'm a pillar of my community. Uh-uh, folks, that's not the Christian life. 
Now, does a Christian do all those things? Absolutely. Christian life is our connection, our connectivity with God. So, why are we... So it comes out to the question, when we fall back to the old way of life, and others could say, let, let, let me put it like this. Let, let's put it on clothes. Let's, let's say clothes is your Christian life. And... Let, let's accumulate uh, the clothes of Christian life. Okay, we all we all got we all got holes in our clothes. We're wearing out. They're um, they're ba- they're just um, raggedy old clothes. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes by and he gives every one of us a brand new set of a uh, whole wardrobe of uh, one. I mean, clothes, a nice shirt, nice clothes. I mean, we're looking good. I mean, we are looking good. We're looking high dollar. What's Brooks Brothers? I don't know who's out there now. What, what's the retail down? Brooks Brothers? Oh, we got nice shoes. We got, we got, uh, yeah, we got nice shoes and everything. And all of a sudden, we're all dressed up, and all of a sudden, somebody shows up, and they're still wearing the same old rags. And we're saying, you know, didn't you get the wardrobe? Yeah, I got a wardrobe. Then why are you wearing them worn out clothes when you've got these brand new, good looking clothes? Let's bring it back to the Bible. Jesus says no one puts new wine into old wineskin. Because that wineskin is already extracted. It's already stretched out. You put more new wine in that old wineskin, it's going to burst and you're going to lose both the wineskin and the wine. What's, What's the Lord saying? Do not take the old way of life and try to equate it with the new way of life. Don't take the old covenant and try to combine it with the new covenant. So the new co- the new is already. Listen, the new is already, but not yet. When we are reading the Sermon on the Mount, that is already, but not yet. The principles that we read, the Beatitudes, is the already, that we are already living in the light of the kingdom. Living now in the <coughs> attitude that we are already in the kingdom, though we're not. The new, the new can be embraced now, but not yet. Because it's not here. The kingdom is already now to be embraced but not yet. Our lives should be so sure. Listen, let me bring it back to the world just a minute. You just won the lottery. lottery. You've got a lottery ticket. You are a millionaire. But you haven't seen a cent of it yet. But you know that it's pending that your bank is going to receive a million dollars in your account. But that's not, that's not going to be until tomorrow or maybe next week sometime. You gonna be excited today? Yeah. Absolutely. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom now. You are in your mind. You're already a millionaire, even though you, there, a dime did not go into your account yet. But you know because you got the winning ticket. We got the winning ticket. The kingdom is not yet, but it's guaranteed. We will see it. As sure as tomorrow is, whatever tomorrow will be, what Monday. So we, as sure as we got that, we know that we got that 
winning lottery ticket, alright? But this is not a lottery ticket. This is God's promise. So the reality is that in Christ and His victory on the cross, there are five truths. Five truths that when we embrace them, when we put them in our hearts, it will be then like a lady who enters into a patrolled I, say, I always have a problem with that word. Patrolled, I'll say patrolled. Engagement relationship. Being engaged, being married. The reality that she is... Let me, let me put this in the Jewish form. We, we know this. In the Jewish custom, and you can, you can read this in even Matthew chapter 1. The engagement, when one gets engaged... That is, that contract, that engagement, when they enter into the engagement, they're married. The contract has been signed. And that, that contract is binding. And the only way to get out of the engagement is divorce. Remember that Joseph, that Joseph was going to divorce. He, they weren't married per se. They didn't consummate the marriage. But they were, uh, but they, they were going to, Joseph was going to divorce Mary. Remember that? That's the, that's the idea. So once you're married, once you're engaged, ladies and gentlemen, it's like that. We are, we are engaged. And we can have within our hearts the fact that we already belong to Christ. And we should. And when we, when we uh, hold on to that fact, our lives are going to be changed. When we hold on to that, there's, there, once again, there's five things. There's five things that we need to embrace for our confident expectation, our hope, as it were. Number one, the Christ's death upon the cross. It was there that He paid the ransom for our, for us. We were born into the slave market of sin. The best of us and the worst of us. The best of us and the worst of us were sub, is sub, are, we, we've all subject to death. Okay? We are we are physically alive, but spiritually dead in Adam. Because when we are born, we are in Adam. Before we commit our first sin, that cute little baby who is born into this world, I've only seen the cute... Uh, I won't tell you who the cutest baby I've ever known in this world, because some of us may argue who the cutest baby was. But, um, but the cutest baby i ever seen... That baby had a sin nature. When she got older, she proved it. And um, but she needed, she needed. I understand. I was a cute baby too. But I needed salvation. All of us. We we were born into a world that is universally lost. So Christ died for us. He was our substitute. He was the perfect substitute for our sin. He was the Lamb of God who gave up His life, His blood for us. Number two, his burial. 
He was taken off the cross. He was laid into a tomb. Okay, no, okay so he, you don't bury live people. You bury dead people. He was dead when he went into that tomb. Number three, his resurrection. Paul covers this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our faith is dependent upon the resurrection of Christ. I should be able to ask any of you, what makes you a Christian? What is it that you believe to be a Christian? And it better be on the top of the list. Because Jesus died, He was buried, He was resurrected. We believe in a living Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, if we just believe in His life only, we are, we are still in our sins. Christ has not even even Christ has not been raised, and we are most pitied. All right, and then okay, so death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. This is important. This is this is vitally important that he ascended into heaven. Because where's the real tabernacle at? Heaven, exactly. What Michael? While I got you on there, the the tabernacle here on earth, the the holy of holies, the holy place, the the ark where the priest went in one time a year to sprinkle blood on there. What was that? That was a, uh, a back in verse five. Uh, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things from oh. that, uh, what Moses seen. Exactly. Okay, a co- and copy and a shadow. That, that was just a training. It, did, it, did it save anybody, Mike? Did any of that blood save anybody? Right, no. no, not a single person. Training But the procedure was right on. That the high priest had to go in. See, it wasn't enough for that sacrifice to happen, the blood. The blood had to be applied to the mercy seat. On the Day of Atonement, That the priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and put the blood, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. That is the on top of the ark with the two angels up there, the two cherubim. That's the mercy seat up there. He had to spread that blood on there. That didn't happen. Then the atonement did not happen. That temporary atonement, the temporary covering. You see, Christ had to ascend into the real, the authentic Holy of Holies in order to, for that blood to be applied, his life to be applied for us, for our salvation. If he didn't ascend, we'd still be lost in our our sins. He'd have done the work, but he wouldn't have took the blood to the Holy of Holies, which is in heaven. Okay? You're going to find out in this lesson that the Lord's doing a lot more in heaven than just sitting there waiting to come to air. Okay? Enlighten on me as well, folks. Alright, um, Okay, that Christ, uh, the death, Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and one more, don't stop there, his session. Thank you very much, Terry. Yes, he's at the right hand of the Father. And um, the session of Christ refers to the biblical teaching that 40 days after his resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand, God's right hand. To reign over all creation. It is God that says, Come, sit down at my right hand 
until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The kingdom has not yet been established here on earth. Christ is still with Christ is still at the right hand and he has not ascended yet. But it's coming. But again, already in that in our hearts we are living by kingdom principles. But knowing that we're still living in a corrupted world. So at that point, so at the point of faith in Christ, we are again in engagement to the Son. Second Corinthians. Somebody give me Second Corinthians five seventeen. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Go ahead, sir. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, we can apply this. We can apply this to the to the Jewish way. The law has passed away. The law has the law is gone. We're the Mosaic law. Now, not really. And here we go again. It's already a reality, but not yet. Because these, the Jewish people and Hebrews, the law was still going on. The temple was still here. We're saying that this was like A.D. 64, somewhere around there. The temple would be destroyed in A.D. 70. The rituals were still going on. So they had something to go back to. They still had the Mosaic Law. They still had an open door to leave Christianity and go back to their old system of religion. But old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Remember the remember the clothes. Um I wasn't going. To, I was going to bring that up, but I'll bring this up again. We, it was a movie you wanted to see again, uh, The Matrix. You know, Hollywood often copies reality, even biblical reality. There's a scene in The Matrix. If you remember, I mean, you seen The Matrix. Well, okay, one year. Okay, I'm, spoiler alert. There's a. See, in the Matrix, there was this world that everybody, the world that everybody operated in. But there was a world outside of that world. And that the Keenan Reeves, who was the character, was rescued from the world that everybody thought was the world and brought into what they called the Matrix, the reality, the real world. And the real world was harder than the world that their minds were set upon. But there were those trying to get back. Remember that? There were those trying to get back to the world that they were comfortable in. Alright? If, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I thought but, that was the Matrix. Yeah, that was the Matrix. false reality. Yeah, the false reality. They were trying to get back to their false reality because that's where they were comfortable at. Listen. Listen. Christians, and I'm talking to you. For all of us. Because all of us are included in this warning. New things have come. 
Old things have passed away. New things have come. But how many Christians do you know have either abandoned her who never come to realization of the new things? They're living in the old way of life. Their life has never changed. Listen, and our, our Calvinist friends would say, if your life has never changed, it means that you're not a believer. You're not saved. In that aspect. I disagree. I disagree. First of all, we brought nothing to salvation. We brought nothing to the table for faith, except for faith. That Jesus Christ provides eternal life for anyone who trusts Him and for it. By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a new creature. The question is, have you embraced that within your heart? Have you embraced that truth? Jesus said, knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we come into this new life with old garbage. Wearing our old clothes. Wearing our old garbage. Remember Noah. I love Noah. Many many preachers tried to try, tried to uh, teach away his sin. Well, Noah didn't know about the fruit. He didn't know the drunkenness. He didn't know about this. And stuff. Noah got drunk. And he got naked. A picture of sin. He was... He was on a mountain. He got drunk. He was he was laid out. He was out of it. He he brought listen. He started the new world, but he brought the old world with him. A repeat of Adam. What's that? A repeat of Adam. Yeah, the repeat of Adam. <laughs> very good, Becca. Very good. I didn't pick up on that, but very good. It was a repeat. It was he brought the same old, same old, and that's what we do with our life. We come in and we brace the the same old, same. Old. Now, some people I've known people that, and you've known, my, my, we've been around long enough to know. We've seen people. We've been to ever been to a revival and stuff, and mm-hmm. or you've met people that oh, I found Jesus. Oh man, how. Glory, hallelujah, amen. They throw away their rock tapes. They live a new... Oh, man, they get... Oh, they're excited. Does that hold? A lot of times, two weeks later, they're sometimes they're worse than what they were before. But at any stage, folks, we can lay aside our life now. How many of you, wherever you are in the Christian life, how many of you want to lay aside the old life and go back to... Or the new life and go back to the old? Not me. Nope. Alright, so so that applies to old new things have come. New things have come. The question is, and that's the reality, are you going to embrace the new things? We are anticipating with great expectation the consummation of that wedding. Of Jesus coming back, of of coming back because at the consummation of that new covenant and in Israel all nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, so we're anticipating that conservation being brought to completion so as and you know really what he's going to do with Israel with the new covenant he's doing with us and his and bring and consummating the wedding our our marriage to him. And Every day that we are living in life, 
growing in the Lord, growing in His Word. And we're, we're growing day by day. We're getting, we're getting prettied up for the groom. Okay? So. And then looking forward to the rapture when we're snatched up to be with the Lord forever. And then when we return, we'll return with the King to begin that earthly kingdom. So are we holding on to the things of this world or are we acting as losers and downtrodden? And as we cope within the world, as the world is, or maybe our current situation, are we down? What's our attitude? Or are we living in the light of the truth? Are we living in a way that people are going to ask us for the hope that's found within us? We have the good news. We the, the reality is that we are of Christ. So the same message is going to our brethren who are the recipients of this letter. They are facing pressure to return back to the old ways. And the writer is saying, don't do it. Alright, somebody give me Hebrews. Okay, well, no, that's back to one. <laughs> As you were. Page three, says Paul Harvey. So there were those that were raising their hands and saying, my bad. I made a mistake. I realize that now. That I'm going back to the old way of life. I'm going back to Judaism. Or we could say we're going back to our own ways. But what do we got? Listen. What do we got if we do return back to the old ways? What do we go back? Because the old ways is disappearing. While Judaism is still a course that people are going back to, it's going to be destroyed. It's not going to be mixed with the new covenant. The new covenant stands on its own. So now Jesus, it's how Jesus explained to the Samaritan woman. The day is coming and now is. That day is coming. Somebody give me 1 Peter 3.15. Because every day after entering into the new life, we're fixing our minds on the new hope. On that, on that uh, hope which is in Christ. 1 Peter 3.15. <coughs> Becky, got it? 1 Peter 3.15. But... Sanctify Christ as Lord in the in your heart, always being ready to make a defense. Everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, with gentleness and reverence. Very good. So every day is about our sanctification. Every day is our growing in the Lord. Every day that the Lord wakes us up, that we make that the reality with those five things I started out in the beginning, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session are anchoring within our hearts and sanctifying ourselves with our eyes fixed forward, not backwards, with forward to our spiritual life. And 
So, during this time, where's Christ at during our time right now? He, he is... Here we go, Michael. He is now in heaven. And what's He doing? He's making intercession. Didn't forget about you. Didn't forget about our question. Our difference between intercession and, and mediating. Both of these things, they're not the same thing. And so... Uh, the question came up Tuesday night. What, what is intercession? What exactly is intercession? Because we think of it as prayer. Praying for others. And we think of it as Christ. As we think, and I've felt, I thought the same way. So that's why I had to go back and look at it. Because there's other contexts involved. So what does intercession mean? What does it mean that Jesus is sitting at the right hand making intercession? Well, what, does, what intercession means is it's coming to stand beside Another in representation. Um, somebody to intercede. Somebody speaking out for you. You're you're going to court, and I'm going to come because I, I a character. I'm going to come intercede for you. I'm going to speak for you. I'm going. Uh, that's one way of looking at. It. I'm going to represent you in heaven. Okay. We represent one another in prayer. When you're going through, when you're going through trials, and you just not even get prayed for you yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, if Christ is in heaven praying for you, and you are partnering with the Lord, what do you think our prayer life should look like? I mean, it's pretty bad because exactly what you're doing when you've got a brother and your sister in a time of need. Don't tell me, well, I can't find time or I don't know how to pray or I don't do this. You know, what you're, what you're essentially saying, and, it, and it's a little vulgar, but I'll say it. Well, it sucks to be you. I, I hope you get better. Really, that's what you're doing. But they're going through the battle. That's a brother. That's a sister. We have a responsibility to pray for them. It's not a thing that they can even thank you for. They should be expecting that you're praying for them. Because Christ is doing that. Listen, Manicoy, we are partners with Christ. And we are praying for one another in the battle. I had a, I had a man come up to be a friend of mine. He was having marital problems. He said, pray for me, I'm having marital problems. I didn't say it out loud, but I said it mentally. Why didn't you come to me before you had marital problems to pray for you? Before you got to the point where you need to pray for me to pray for a broken marriage, why don't you pray? Why don't I just pray for the marriage altogether? Because it's a responsibility. I'm praying for your marriage. Michael, for your and Amanda's marriage. I prayed this morning for Terry and Michael's marriage. For our marriage. You don't have to say thank you. That's a responsibility that I have. That's a responsibility you have to be praying for our marriage. That's intercession. And it's a responsibility. Another thing of intercession is lifting up the weak or encouragement or encouraging others. We're sharing each other's strength. It's like it's like a it's like uh, uh, many times I've been on a hike 
a forced march where I didn't think I could take another step or was in the weather or trials and things within the military in training. But I had somebody next to me on my right or left interceding for me. He, he was lifting me up. He was encouraging me to go on. That's another element of intercession. Mm-hmm. Intercession is also representing another in court case. So we, we pretty much covered that, Michael. Um, representing another in a court case when an accuser is pointing a finger at you. That you're interceding, that you're standing up for them. That's intercession. And when Yahweh threatened to destroy his people, Moses interceded for the people. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing by... uh, You say you're going to wipe out your people? Well, Lord, if you're going to do this, what are your enemies going to say about you? That you can't keep your promises? I'm paraphrasing, of course. But what Moses was doing was interceding for the people. Standing there that God doesn't bring His discipline down on them. So can we also pray for the sinner? I think we can. Lord, you know, open the eyes of their hearts that they might be able to see. I pray, Heavenly Father, when You do bring Your discipline, I don't pray that the Lord withholds discipline, by the way. But I pray that when that discipline comes down upon the sinner, when I say sinner, I mean a believer who is walking in darkness. Because, gentlemen, I would rather God grab you by the ankles and drag you across the coals and bring you down to... Now, me must have heard a little bit on that. So am I, actually. But I would rather the Lord do that than you to be lost in your sins. That to wake you up to understand. And when the Lord brings, listen, when the Lord brings discipline, He's really interceding for you. He doesn't let you go off into the darkness without Him making every effort to bring you back into the light. There is also the aspect of being a mediator, which is a difference between um, a, a intercession and me because the Lord is doing that in heaven as well. The Lord is busy in heaven. The Lord is in heaven and He's also mediating. He is a mediator for the new covenant. And we say, remember that mediator in reconciliation is one who is equal with both parties in dispute. Remember, let me go... We, we've covered that as let's just say he's doing the work of, of, of the well I've opened up a whole can of worms tonight because that's, that's going to take for the next half hour if I'm going to go back into that let's just say right now I'll save that for Tuesday night possibly what is what is being a mediator and um, so because intercession is different than mediation so First John 2, 1-2 says, My little children, I am writing you these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. What is advocate? What is the word for it? You know, the one who stands beside, called to stand beside, what's that word? 
Fair Clay Dots, very good. You get a smile on his face, Wally. He's the one who comes stands beside us. He's making intercession for us with the Father. So, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Alright, I'm halfway through the lesson. And so we're going to pick this up on Tuesday night. Um, remember that the kingdom is a reality to those who sanctify the Lord God in their hearts. And it's not just once on Sunday. It's not just on the midweek service. But we are learning to walk in the light as He is in the light. Every day is a matter of growth. And are we perfect? Are we going to be perfect about it? There's going to be times when we're stumble. And there's going to be times that we're going to sin. But again, our Lord is in heaven making intercession for us. We name our sins. He is... He is if we confess our sins, He's righteous and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pick ourselves up and if we're still breathing, we're not disqualified. Brush yourself off, right Becca? Yep. And we continue to march. We continue to press forward. Up, onward and upward. Sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts and living life as if we are in the kingdom today. Our closing hymn will is what, Grady? What a day that will be. What a day that will be. What a, what a great song to finish this out with. And um, and once again, Mike and Terry, glad you're here. I hope this worked out for us well. And um, all right. So let's stand and remain standing for a closing prayer. coming day when no heartache shall come no more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eye all the peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look on his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow then no more burdens to bear no more sickness no more pain no more parting over then and forever
what a day, glorious day that will be. That will be when my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together. We thank You, Heavenly Father, that though the kingdom is not yet established, nonetheless, we live as those who are going to be citizens of that wonderful kingdom with Thee. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for our position in Christ that makes us family of God, makes us His royal family. And if ever anyone within the sound of my voice have not yet received the message, whether they're receiving this live or recording, know this, that if you're not the family of God, it only takes, the door is open for you right now, that Jesus Christ died for you. He was buried, He rose again, ascended, and He sits at the right hand of the Father. By believing in Him and trusting in His work and what He has done for you, it is that moment that you receive that so great salvation. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for those of us who are in the that will continue to walk in the light, that our hope will be that glorious kingdom that we are all going to one day be reunited in. We have loved ones now that are there already enjoying that time. Those with thee. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that I look forward to that great reunion. Be with us each day. Let us encourage each other and lift each other up. In these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of the glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority. Before him all time, yeah. for now and forevermore. I'll have Amen. to have.